Welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How bad was Mr. Hyde? In addition to various indulgences that Jekyll didn't record in detail, he was forced to pay a young woman a hundred pounds for trampling her, only because it was witnessed. And he beats a minister of parliament to death with a heavy cane. How bad are you? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Freedom with the second part of the message, Free from the Law, which covers Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning to all. Let's start. Let's jump right into it. Let's pray and ask God to bless as we get into his word today, all right? Our Father, we're going to ask you that you would uh, be our teacher right now. That I wouldn't be the primary teacher, but you would. That you would take the words of Scripture as they're processed through even what I say. That there may be a hearing of your word and what you have to say. Would you use this to transform our lives? Know that we find our freedom in you. And we pray that we might know the truth. And even now, the truth would set us free to a greater degree than ever before all to the end that we may honor you. I pray for those who are here among us that are seeking to understand the faith of Christianity. May this be the day it all becomes clear. And we ask it in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. From time to time I'm asked, what is it that I think makes this church unique from other churches? In my opinion... One of the things that comes out in my mind uh, beyond most churches, I think, today is that we, as the teachers of this church, continuously remind you how bad you are. (laughs) Really. I had somebody not too long ago tell me they talked to someone and said, oh, I used to go to your church perimeter. And said, oh, really? Why did you leave? And he said, well, because all I, I hear all the time over there how bad I am. And I took that as one of the great compliments that this church got to hear that they would say, yeah, I recognize when I go there, I do hear how bad I am. Today, there's a movement to tell people how good they are and tell them what they need to be and how they can do it and so forth. And it's just... You're good. Is that true or not? I'm going to let you decide at the end of Romans chapter 7 today. But I'm going to suggest this. That telling people in church that they're bad is not a formula for church growth. It is the great formula for spiritual growth. If you want to grow spiritually... Let me tell you, learn how bad you are. Never standing alone without the message of grace, which this church constantly takes you to the cross of Christ to see his love and what he does. But those two together, you can't just talk about the cross of Christ. You have to make sure you understand the need for the cross of Christ. So you be, you be the one that makes the decision at the end of chapter 7. Man good, man bad. Now, for you that uh, are joining us new, we're in a series. It's a series on the book of Romans chapters 6 and 7. We entitled it Freedom. 
We've already spent three weeks on chapter 6, and that's freedom from sin. That's an important subject matter, really important, that we are bound to a sin nature, and we die to that sin, meaning we're separated from a sin nature that still indwells us but no longer controls us. That happens to every person at the moment of salvation. We moved into chapter 7 this last week. Last week and this week, we look at chapter 7 that's going to talk about freedom from the law. A very important subject matter. Freedom from the law. The next two weeks, we'll close this series and we'll talk about freedom to struggle. That as Christians, now that we have the sin nature still living within us but no longer bound to us as it was, now there's a fight. We have two things within us, two power sources, and they're at war with one another. Paul will tell his story, the Apostle Paul who writes the text, under inspiration, he'll tell his story of this war that wages, and it ends with the great news of here's how you win the battle day after day after day. Now, we're using Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the little book by Stevenson. It's a very excellent book to give us insight into the text. It's almost like a, a, an analogy that goes alongside it. Now, Stevenson, Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote it, uh, probably was not writing it saying, here's a commentary on Romans chapter 7, but he grew up in a Presbyterian church that taught Romans chapter 7. Whatever the case, he knew the struggle of Romans 7. And so the story, I will not tell you the whole storyline again, but you need to know this much if you're not familiar with the book. It's a Dr. Jekyll, a good man, a doctor, who has this war inside of two selves fighting against each other, a conscientious self and a coveting self. And he couldn't find happiness because one was stopping the other. If I could only live in just one or the other, so he comes up with a potion, and that potion he takes to become Mr. Hyde. And it's the story of him as two different people, a Dr. Jekyll, a good Dr. Jekyll, and a very wicked Mr. Hyde. And that's the storyline. Now, I want to say to you that are our kids and our youth that are here, I can't tell you how important this teaching on Romans chapter 7 is for you. Because the law of God, as we talk about freedom from the law, can refer to the Ten Commandments as the law. You can broaden that circle a little bit wider and it becomes the law of Moses. And all the laws that flow out of the Ten Commandments. You can also refer to the whole Word of God as His law. This is His writing. This is revealing His will. His law. Let me tell you, until you understand, hear this young people, until you understand the intent of this book, the law, you will never understand, embrace, or love the content of this book. It will always be, oh, the Bible says, I can't believe, you know, the Bible says, you know, it says that you can't do this, and it says if you do this, you're wrong, and you can't do this, and all, and they just, I hate that thing, it's just always telling you, it makes me feel bad, I don't like it, and, and all of a sudden, this becomes a very wicked thing. But when and if and when you understand the intent of the law, which is I'm what we're going to teach today, if you understand the intent of the law, now you may really appreciate the content of the law. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there with me to uh, Romans chapter 7. 
Last week we covered verses 1 through 6. Let me give you a quick overview of what we said there. We talked about the first point, the believer is released from the law. The first six verses, the believer is released from the law. So I thought, okay, without just walking right through my points very quickly from last week to remind you or for you that are not here, what if I just kind of summarized it in a totally different way? That maybe it gives you just a new understanding. Here it would be. Here's the summary. Three thoughts. Number one, the law is good. Got to know the law is good. I want you to think of the law like a knife. You have a knife. Now, is that knife good? Yes, nothing wrong with that knife. Put it in the hand of a murderer, and you say, that's not good. I don't like that knife. It's in the hands of a murderer. Secondly, you could put it in the hands of a surgeon who's about to do surgery on a loved one, maybe on you, and you're dreading the pain of surgery. But it's like that scalpel in the, do- in the doctor's hand. It's, it's going to be used in a good way to help you. Or maybe you think, thirdly, of the knife in the hand of an outdoorsman who says, I've got to cut these limbs, I need to do this, I need to do that with a knife, and I cut the meat with a knife, and, I do, and it's a, it serves us in a wonderful way. And we think, oh, what a good thing. Well, let me tell you, you put the knife in the hands of the old sin nature, which is what is true, hear this, that's what's true of every non-believer The old nature is literally together with the law, and we are bound to that law. And it's not a good thing. It is a bad marriage, as we'll look second. So know that. Or it may be that that law is in the hands of Almighty God and His Spirit, who's working to bring conviction in our hearts to to show us things that's going to help us very greatly in our Christian life. Or maybe it's just that like the knife that's in the outdoorsman's hand, it's in our hands to be used as a counselor or a director to say, what should I be doing? What should I not be doing? Very, very healthy and good. So know this, the law is good. I'll come back to that at the end of this chapter. The law is good. Number two, I would suggest in summary that the law is a horrible marriage partner. Horrible marriage partner. Married to the law, you're married to sin. It's an abusive spouse. But when you're dead to sin, at that point, the law can become now a friend or a counselor. This is where I shared the story of Carol and me. And I won't tell the whole story, but basically of Carol and me dating and, and breaking up because, because our timeline was different and when we'd want to be married. And so we just thought it was best to break up. And I meet somebody else. I start dating her. She seems to be everything I would want. But by me being with her, as, as attractive as she was in, in and outside, I, it just showed me that I needed, I didn't need her, I needed Carol. And it drove me back to Carol for a marriage that now I'm so thankful for. It's a very similar thing with the law. Nothing wrong with the law. Dating God, dating God, breaking up, breaking up. And all of a sudden you get in the word of God and all of a sudden it shows you, oh my goodness, I need Christ. And it drives you right back to Christ. Number three, in summary, Once divorced from an abusive relationship with the law, one can serve in newness of spirit, not in oldness of the letter. And that's where I use the analogy of a child who hates the laws of grooming until they fall in love. And then all of a sudden they love to groom. What happened? Love changed everything. Now, 
That's last week. This week, we're going to look at the second major portion, verses 7 through 13. The believer is indebted to the law. Just like I am indebted to that girl that I dated, we as Christians are indebted to the law because it drives us to the one that we really need, Christ himself. So what you have is in the previous verses in chapter, uh, same chapter, verse 4, Paul had said this statement. You must be delivered from the law. In verse 5, he says this. He says the sinful passions were aroused by the law. Those kind of statements, I mean, ticked the Jewish person off so badly. I mean, the law, they loved it so much. They, They were the recipients of the law of God. They were the blessed people. And they misunderstood what Paul was saying in total. I mean in total. They thought he was knocking the law, that he was just being critical of the law. And so he raises two questions that he knows he is being literally accused of answering wrongly. Here are the two questions. So you remember these two questions. Is the law sin? Number one. And number two, Does the law cause death? Now, with just those two, those questions, and what you've heard already, now I want us to read the text, 7 through 13. See if you get a little bit of understanding, and then it'll be my job to make sure you get a lot of understanding before we leave, okay? Let's do it again this week. Let's stand in honor of the Word of God. Let's stand as I read. Follow along in your scriptures or on the screen as I read. Notice that in verse 7, there's going to be the first of those two questions. In the 13th verse, there's going to be the second of the question. So here they are. Verse 7, what shall we say then, is the law sin? There's that first question. May it never be, and that is a strong term, God forbid, no. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now look at verse 13. Here's the second question. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. God forbid. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. All right, keep in mind, this is the Word of God. Now let's make sure we understand it. Take your seats and we'll uh, break it open very quickly. The way Paul is going to address those two questions and answer them is going to be kind of flipping it around and saying, no, 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 no. In fact, let me just argue that it doesn't do those things. Let me tell you the good that it does. And he's basically going to tell us three things here that the law does that proves that, no, the law is not sin, the law doesn't cause death, that the law is so very, very much our ally if a Christian. 
And here's the way he's going to do it. I'll give you the three major points of the outline now so you see where we're going. The first is, he says that the law exposes sin. Secondly, he's going to say the law provokes sin. And then that the law condemns sin. Now, you will never remember that tomorrow. If I came up to you and said, tell me the three things. Even if you, if you're older than than 25, if you memorized it right now, you wouldn't know it tomorrow. You're going to forget it. Maybe, though, you'll remember a word picture. So remember this. You remember a spotlight. Think about a spotlight. What does a spotlight do? It exposes something that's in the dark. Then I want you to think of a, a poker. Not like a poker chip, not like a game of poker. But if you poke something, whatever you use to poke it is your poker. That is a real word. I looked it up. <laughs> something you poke someone with. Like I've got a friend, we play golf, and maybe somebody says something to him that gets him a little frustrated. He says, don't poke the bear. And when you hear that, you go, oh, watch out. Now it's going to be par, par, birdie. Uh-oh. <laughs> don't poke the bear. So we're talking about provoking. And then I want you to think of a gavel. A judge's gavel to remember the idea of condemning. So I'll walk back through those, but those three may be a help to remember the intent of the law so that we can appreciate and hold on to the content of the law. Now, number one, the law exposes sin. We look at verse 7. Here's the spotlight. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, maybe to just give you a little illustration right out of the, right out of the box here. When Carol was raising our four children, I would hear her say, maybe to me, certainly to other people in conversation, I've heard this several times, she'd say, you know, I really, really thought that I was a fairly patient person until I had kids. Now, that's not saying that the kids were bad, though they were. (laughs) But it's just saying children, raising children, shows you something about yourself that you probably wouldn't know about yourself. Carol, I've heard her tell the story many times, and remember when she shared it with me, she told me about her day, and she said her day hadn't been so good. I don't remember the details. It was so long ago, but one of our children was driving her crazy, and, and she said, man, I, I never see Carol lose. I never see her get mad and, you know, anything like that. And she said, man, I lost it today. I said, really? What happened? She said, I, I locked myself in the bathroom. And I said, you locked yourself in the bathroom? What happened? She told me what the kids were doing. She said, I had so much I couldn't handle it. I locked them in my Child was hitting that, this particular child was banging on the doors and let me in, let me in. And she hollered to her outside the door, no, you don't want me to come up, open this door, because if I do, I'm going to kill you right now. <laughs> well, I don't, what happened? There's something that was showing her what was inside her that she had no idea was there until a spotlight was shown on it. You think about a a window and you open the shades in a bright sunny day and you see these millions of particles of dust. And you think, I never saw those. Did they show up because the sun came through? No. They've always been there. They just showed you what's always there. Now, Paul's story, his own life told in Scripture, 
He's, he was the, the quintessential ja- uh, Dr. Jekyll. I mean, he was the good moral law keeper. I mean, the best of the best of the best. But then he took the potion of God's law. And there's the analogy. He took the potion of God's law. At 13, as a Jewish little boy, he had to start studying and learning the law. And he believed until his young adulthood, he had the wrong conception, believing that the law was the answer to his sin. And as he saw his sin, he thought, I need more law. He saw his sin, I need more law. I see my sin, oh, I need more law. And so he went to the extreme of all Jewish people in the embracing of the law to every jot and tittle, only to find out he'd been confused all alone. Here's the irony of the truth of this verse 7. The truth is we're not good, but we see ourselves as good unless there's a spotlight shown on what's inside us. And then we see. So I have lunch with men all the time, most every day, and so often with guys that are, are outside the faith trying to explore how to come into the faith and do, do I even want to come in the faith. And when I do, I always make it very clear. Now look, you know, you, you have got, you have just got to be exposed to the Word of God. Because I hear what they say when I meet with them. And these are some people that do some really, really bad things. And they tell their bad stories, but they keep in, you know, time and time again kind of inserting this idea. But don't get me wrong, I'm really a good person. And they spend so much time telling me how good they are. Then I meet with some of the most godly people, and they tend to, to spend their time talking about how evil they are, this sin that's within them. That's odd. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, this is the great author of God's Word in great part of the New Testament. At the end of his life, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. I read that as a little kid. I said, you know, Paul, you shouldn't be lying. You're writing the Bible while you're saying this. You know you're not the chief of all sinners. No, you couldn't convince him of that. It's kind of like a guy that called me, the fellow I had mentored and spent time with, a much younger man than me. And uh, he said, I've got to come talk to you, and it's urgent, it's, it's critical. I've, I've done something really, really, really bad. So he came to see me, and he just couldn't get it out. He kept kind of saying, I just don't know if I can even tell you. I just feel so sick. Even having to, uh. And I said, look, there's nothing you're going to tell me probably that I haven't heard something equally as bad, trust me. But more importantly... You're not going to tell me anything you've done that's any worse than anything I've done. He looked at me and said, I don't believe that. I said, all right, you go first. (laughs) And he told me, and it was really bad, really bad. I said, no, you don't beat me. He said, what have you done? I said, man, if I'm very, very selfish. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, did you hear what I said? And you're saying, and I said, no, no, no. See, that shows you you don't get it yet, do you? You've got one kind of devil in you, and I got another kind of devil in me. And mine is the righteous devil, and yours is the unrighteous devil. But both of them are the devil. And I tell you this as bad as you hate what you did in that one sin, I bet you I see myself a whole lot worse than you are because 
That's what happens when you begin to grow spiritually. You don't see yourself better and better. You see yourself as more and more wicked. And you do see the work of God change you. You do see fruit that you've not seen. But it causes people like the Apostle Paul at the end of a ministry to say, I am the chief of all sinners. He believed that because he saw the depths of his heart. So let me ask you, how do you view yourself? Do you find yourself thinking, I am really a pretty good person. I don't see much bad stuff in me. It tells me you're not where you need to be. Therefore, you need to keep listening over the rest of the series because you got to see what's inside. Let's go to number two. The law provokes sin. Now we think about the poker that you got to poke with. Now Paul is going to help us see his story. We're going to see it in verse 8, and this is how it reads. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So he's saying that the law provoked the Mr. Hyde within him. That's in essence what he's saying. And what he's then saying is, let me, let me tell you my sin. And he said, here's my great sin that I saw. It's the coveting of my heart. Now, by the way, does anybody know what commandment coveting is? It's the tenth. It's the final one. Do you know why he says coveting? Because it is the law that includes all the other nine. It's a summary of all of the laws of God. Do you know what coveting is? Coveting is saying, I've got to have something that without which I do not believe I can be satisfied and happy in life. I'm coveting if I think I've got to have this relationship, this success, this whatever it is. I've got to have that in order to be happy. Now, here was Paul's situation. Paul thought he had to have morality to be happy. He thought, I have to be good. I have to keep the law. I have to be the best of the best. I have to do this. I have to do that. He said that's what was keeping him away from seeing his great need for God through Christ. So it's whatever it is. So we can ask ourselves, are there any of us here that would say, hey, if I don't have good health, then I can't be a satisfied person. I can't have joy. I can't be positive. I can't be because I've got this, therefore I can't be. I have to have it in order to be happy. No. Then you're coveting good health. Nothing wrong with wanting good health. But if you think you've got to have it in order to be satisfied in life, now we're coveting. Or any of us here say, you know, if, I'm not, if I don't ever get married, if I don't find a spouse, I'm telling you, I will never be satisfied in life. I'll never have. It's just going to be, I've got to have, I've got to. No. Now we're coveting. We're coveting marriage. Or there's some of us that are married saying, I'll never be happy with this spouse. I'll, I just can't be happy there. Isn't life going to be terrible now for the rest of my life? I don't have anything. It's gone. I just can't be. And now... What do we know? It's just showing, okay, we're coveting. We're coveting a good marriage. Are the kids, well, my kids have got to be good. They've got to be, they got to, my kids aren't, I can't be. No, no, no. That's coveting. But when you hear you're coveting, don't think, boy, I'm a weird, unusual person. That's the story of all of us, Paul included. That's why we don't want to stay married to the law. We want to go to grace. Because when we go to grace, now... This thing is going to be our friend, our companion, and we're going to find out that, you know what? God uses things we don't like. 
to make us better people and who we really want to be and what we will want to be for all eternity. And the, the story goes on and on. It's just too important. I want you to read about what uh, Stevenson says as he's describing the, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. This is at the very end of his life, right before he commits suicide. He says, I resolved in my future conduct to redeem the past. Now, his past, he had just murdered somebody. And I can say with honesty that my resolve was fruitful of some good. You know yourself how earnestly in the last months of the last year I labored to relieve suffering. You know that much was done for others and that the days passed quietly, almost happily for myself. Nor can I truly say that I wearied of the beneficent and innocent life. I think instead that I daily enjoyed it more completely. Now, Paul's there. He's saying, boy, I just, the Dr. Jekyll that just was so good, it made me feel good to be good. It made me feel like I, I'm now I'm who I need to be. But notice there's a but that follows. But I was still cursed with my duality of purpose. And as the first edge of my penitence, uh, penitence wore off, the lower side of me, so long indulged, so recently chained down, began to growl for license. Not that I dreamed of resuscitating Hyde. The bare idea of that would startle me to frenzy. No, it was in my own person that I was once more tempted to trifle with my conscience. And it was as an ordinary secret sinner that I at last fell before the assaults of temptation. He lost the battle to hide. That is the way it works. It eventually wins. So, the last and the third point, the law condemns sin. Verses 9 through 13. Let's read verses 9 through 11. It goes like this. I was once alive from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me, for sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. And when he says, sin became alive and I died, he says, I fell under the judgment of the law. And what he is saying is this, I realize that the very thing I was attempting to keep, I couldn't. And therefore, the law that I was trying to keep itself will condemn me you see the law says he should have known this the law says hey keep me perfectly and you will live but the truth is if you don't it goes on to say if you don't keep it perfectly you will die he didn't keep it perfectly and he realized I'm under the condemnation of God as good as I'm living the law I'm under condemnation. So his question, is the law sin? Look at verse 12. He's going to wrap it up. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. It's good. And then the second question, he answers in verse 13. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? No, may it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting the death, my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment sin would become utterly sinful. All he's saying there is this. No, 
It is not the commandment that caused me death. What caused me death was a sin nature. Sin nature caused the sins of my life. And the sins of my life are the reason for my death. The law had nothing to do with my death. The law can be used to help me find life once I find Christ and find fulfillment in life, yes. But no, it's not a means of death. Now, having shared that, know this. The law reveals, it provokes, and it condemns. It's a spotlight. It's a poker. It's a gavel. It is cannot, it will not save, it will not forgive, and it will not cleanse. But you know, the truth of it is, it's grace. It's grace. It's not, it's not the law. It's grace. So this is how he's already put it together in chapter 5. The last verse we look at, verse 20, it says, The law came, and so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased... There it is. Grace abounded all the more. Okay, so what? You see the depth of your sin. You're a bad people. Oh, I see how bad I am. Guess what? You have the privilege of seeing the greatness of God's grace because where sin increases, meaning you see it more and more and more and more, you're going to see the grace that covers it more and more and more and more. People who see grace and live by grace, they are free people. It's not going to come by telling you you're good. It comes by letting you know that you're bad, but the cross of Christ covers all sin. Close with this last application for you, for you who are not Christians. For you who are not Christians, get a divorce. You go, you go apply for divorce. Divorce the law. Go to the cross. The cross will give you a divorce certificate. You'll be separated from sin, and with it you're separated from the law, and whew, well, you're in a better place now. For you that are Christians, for you that are Christians, and you're divorced from the law, but now you're back living, you're living with the law as if you were married. For you people, as I said last week, repent. Repent of what? Repent of your goodness. Don't repent of the bad little... No, repent of your goodness, how you've gone to the, to the law. No, no, no. Do away with that. And by the way, if you're a Christian and you're divorced, happily divorced from the law, thus happily married to Christ, you constantly give thanks to God. You're a rare people who understand that it was Christ who took your payment on your behalf. Give thanks. Last word is to our kids, our young people. Let me tell you guys, this word here, you think it prohibits you and it hinders you. Everything in this word is given either to protect you from someone else, to protect someone else from you, or to protect you from yourself. This is good. This is good. But you've got to fall in love with its author. Don't ever think this thing is no good. This is what you need. Do it in the word. That's why every one of us every day should be in the Word. Seeker, you want to find out how do I get a love, a want for Christ? You get in the Word every day. You ask for it, get in the law. Watch what it does.
As we pray together, let's pray, all right? Our Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that you would grant us to take these applications wherever they apply, wherever we are, that we might be a people who fall in love with this word because we've fallen in love with you. Grant our young people particularly to see the intent of this law so that they may love the content of it. We pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.